Praise God for his, his grace on our church and what a, what a joy Sanctity of Life Sunday is for me to be able to, to be a, a part of a, a church that loves the Lord and, and loves life and is uh, faithful in, in that ministry. And so I hope this is an encouraging Sunday for you as well. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1 as you do there that. Encourage you to, after service, to, to think about maybe stopping by the, the table and thinking through uh, how God might have you uh, be involved in ministry uh, of, that is pro-life and what all that means. We'll, we'll talk about some this morning. If you would stand with me in honor of God as we look at his word together, we're in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, as we see one of the foundational passages that helps us understand uh, what it means to be pro-life the nature and the purpose, the origin of life. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he was, saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading and the application of his word this morning. Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray now that you'd help our, our hearts to be sensitive to it. We thank you that you have given us physical life and you've given us new life uh, through faith in your son, Jesus. We pray that we'd be faithful to the gospel, that we would be pro-life in, in proclaiming your gospel uh, to all people that, you, that you've given us uh, to, to share it with. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When Christians in America talk about being pro-life, we often think of that phrase in, in political terms and not theological terms. We're, we're influenced far more by politics sometimes than theology when we think about being pro-life. And, and it's, it's very understandable. You know, we live in a culture where uh, politically, we're very divided on the issue of, of abortion, and so when we talk about being pro-life, it becomes a very political conversation very quickly, and there's kind of a, a whiplash that takes place in our culture as we go from one presidential administration to, to another. And so when we talk about being pro-life, we think about abortion very, very quickly and very easily. In fact, think about what just happened this, this past week. On, on Monday, we had one president— and on Monday, this president and his administration issued a, a proclamation that today was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it was a very, very good statement. I encourage you to read it. That was, that was Monday. 
And then five days later, we had a, a new president, and on, on Friday, he issued a, a proclamation that was very, what you call pro-choice. It was very uh, pro-abortion, so the exact opposite statement that had been made on Monday. And so it's, it's very understandable that when we think about being pro-life, we, we think often first and foremost about political issues. And, and it's certainly important to think about those political issues. But what I would suggest to you is that our, our focus on the political nature of being pro-life has, has sometimes hurt us when we try to think about it theologically as well. For example, a few years ago, I was talking to a, a man running for Congress, and we were just kind of talking about his different positions, and, and obviously I was, I was asking about his position on, on pro-life issues and abortion. I said, so help me understand. I wasn't trying to argue with him or anything. I said, help me understand. Why are you pro-life or, or against abortion in these circumstances, but you've said that you're okay with abortion in, in these circumstances? Just help me understand. Why is that? He said, well, that's, that's what the president believes. That's the party platform. I said, well, I don't care about the party platform. I just want to know, what, what do you, what do you believe, and why do you believe that? And, and he's like, uh, and I, I unintentionally stumped him. You know, I wasn't quite sure uh, what to say. So maybe we, we can talk about that some other time, right? In other words, I, I think that it's hurt us, and again, I think it's, I think politics are important. We're part of this culture. That's important. But I think thinking about pro-life issues in terms of pure policy and politics has sometimes hindered our ability to think deeply and theologically about what it means to be pro-life. Pro-life is not just a, a simple, shouldn't be, just a, a simple shorthand for being against abortion. Uh, being pro-life should be something more than that, not less, but something more. In fact, here's a statement that I want us to think about as we think about what it means to be pro-life. Biblically, what does it mean to be pro-life? What it means is this. Here's kind of the main thing I want us to think about. It means we are committed to living in a manner that is consistent with a biblical understanding of the nature and purpose of life and striving to promote that understanding within the culture in which God has placed us. I think that's biblically. When I use the phrase pro-life, that's, that's what it's shorthand for me. Look, I'm, I want to live in a way that's consistent with what God says the nature and purpose of life is. I want to do that in all aspects of my life. And, and then furthermore, as I live in a culture that, that doesn't share my belief about the gospel and about who God is, about the nature and the origin of life and those things, I want to strive by God's grace to promote that understanding within the culture in which God's placed me as, as appropriate. That's what I want to strive to do. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about two things. Just let me give you a little heads up of, of where we're headed. We're going to talk about, first of all, some of the challenges that exist within our culture as we try to, to think about being pro-life. And then we're going to talk about the theological foundations of what it means to be pro-life. Just a little bit of the, some, a broad brushstroke of some of those issues of what it means to be pro-life, theologically, foundationally. What does it mean to be pro-life? We're going to look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. But again, when I say I'm pro-life, what, what am I saying? I'm saying I'm committed to, to living in a manner that's consistent with a biblical understanding of, of the nature of life, its, its origin, and, and, and the purpose of life, what God would have me do and then I want to promote that understanding of the, the biblical understanding of the nature and the purpose of life. I want to promote that 
in, in the culture in which I live as I proclaim the, the gospel and as I strive to, to live in a, a culture that honors God's understanding of life. That's what we're trying to do, I believe. And of course, uh, it's no coincidence that we're focusing on our, our open hearts, open homes ministries uh, so much this morning because I think that's a, a crucial part of what this means for us as a church. So let's, uh, let's first of all talk about some of the challenges what are the challenges for those of us who are pro-life? And as we think about the challenges, we see there's some, some challenges that are, are coupled with opportunity. So a couple of challenges. First of all, I believe we have some philosophical challenges as we strive to be pro-life in this culture. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So we're, we're in our physical bodies, but, but the battle in which we're engaged in is not a, a purely physical battle. We're not waging war through physical violence. We're not going to, to people in our culture and slapping them around and saying, be pro-life. It says, verse 4, the weapons, this is 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. God has given us divine power, power from him, to destroy strongholds. You say, well, what, what kind of strongholds is he talking about? Well, it's not physical, literal stronghold or building. It's not the Capitol. It's not the White House we're attacking. He says in verse 5, here are the strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So what we understand is we live in a culture, and this isn't just true in, to today in 2021. This, is, this has always been the case, that the church has lived in a world that's, that, in, in which it's surrounded by thoughts and opinions that are intentionally, what the text says, is lifted up against God. So there, are, there is a, a world that is opposed to allowing and to recognizing God's sovereign reign, and so it constructs opinions and thoughts and philosophies that are set up against God's reign and authority. And so what, is, what does Paul say we do? We, we destroy those and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're, we're constantly thinking about the philosophies of the world in which we live and saying, okay, is this biblical? Is, is this North America in 2021? How, how would you describe that? What are the lofty thoughts and opinions, and lofty in the sense of, of arrogant, of refusing to submit to God's rule? What are those lofty opinions and thoughts, worldview, philosophy? What, what would you, how would you describe that? As I think about it, there, there's a lot of examples we could give of thoughts and opinions that are against God and his rule and living in submission to that. But, but one would just be just materialism, right? A secular materialism, the idea that the physical world is all that there is. And the idea that if you're going to, to engage in public thought and opinion, you, you can't have any sort of appeal to a divine being. The material world is all that there is. And in fact, this, this materialism believes that we can only understand life and its purpose apart from any sort of appeal to a divine being. And, and we see this materialism play out in, in all sorts of ways as we think about how our, our culture views life. I was reading an article that was published, I believe it was in 2001, in the National Institute of, of Health. 
And the article was entitled, a really catchy title, I'm so far off my notes now. It was entitled, Is There Such a Thing as a Life Not Worth Living? And so it's kind of exploring the ideas, should, should quality of life determine whether or not we allow a life to exist? And so, for example, both in, in abortion and in euthanasia, should quality of life determine whether or not we allow this life to live or we, we end the life? And at first, the article said, you know, we, we can't really make a good determination about the quality of life of an unborn child. And so you think, well, well, then we would err on the side of letting that life live, right? Well, even from a secular perspective, you'd think that'd be the case. But they say, no, no, um, we allow lives to be terminated if they are predicted to be of low or maybe only slightly diminished quality. And furthermore, it says, well, since we can't really know what the quality of life of an unborn child is going to be, not only should we allow, not use that as the basis of our determiner of quality of life, we should allow other rights to, to trump the life of the unborn. So, for example, the, the right of the mother to, to live a life unencumbered by a child. And then they say this, this, this very chilling statement. We may also rely on the idea of replaceability, the possibility of creating another biological life. What is that? That's demonic, right? Hey, look, it's, it's, just, it's, just a cl- they use it. it's just a cluster of cells. There's nothing divine about this. There's nothing God-given. And just like you can replace a shirt or you can replace some other material thing, there's always a possibility of replacing this biological life with another if you want to have a kid later. That is shocking, but it is a philosophical challenge that we we realize faces us as we strive to be pro-life. There are also theological challenges. There are also theological challenges. Number two, a theological challenge for those of us who are pro-life. I was reading an interview with a a woman who called herself a a pro-choice pastor, and she took one of the texts that we're taking this morning, talking about being created in the image of God, and she says, why I think that means that we have the same sort of independence that God does. And so we can decide what we want to do with life. She pointed to a passage like John 10.10, where Jesus says, I've come to, to, give, to give life, that people might have life, and life abundantly. And she says, well, that means that we should be able to, to live the, the fullest of life that we desire. So instead of coming to the text and saying, okay, here's what God's word says, we say, here's the idea that I want to, to find in God's word, and we, we find it. Instead of coming to Genesis 1 and saying, okay, this is telling me that God is the author of life. I've been created in his image as his representative, as we're going to talk about in a moment. Instead, we say, well, this gives me the right to do whatever I want. I want to live a life abundant, and I get to decide what that abundant life is, as opposed to looking at the context of John and saying, okay, Jesus is calling us to, to obedience and discipleship and walking in, in submission to him. That's why we have abundant life. There is a theological challenge that we face in even in the church, as people don't come to God's word first to understand the nature and the purpose of life. And there's also a a definitional challenge. In other words, as I think about this, when we say the phrase pro-life or sanctity of life, it's hard to, to know exactly what those phrases mean sometimes. There's some definitional challenges. In fact, I cut this out of my notes this morning. Very sad for me, but I had this 
amazing couple of paragraphs about the history of the phrase sanctity of life. Look it up on, do a Google search of how that phrase has been used in literature over the last couple hundred years. You're like, yeah, I see why you cut that out. Anyway, um, being pro-life, the phrase pro-life, sanctity of life, it, it's hard sometimes to understand what, they mean, what that means. Sometimes people say, well, you're, you're pro-life, that must mean, and you believe in the sanctity of life. You mean, when you say sanctity of life, you must mean that life itself is divine, and our, our lives are sacred and just as much valuable as, as God's life. No, that's not what we mean. So we are pro-life. That must mean you're, you're for prolonging life under any circumstances, and you would do anything to preserve your life. No, that's, that's not what we mean. If I was given the choice between denying Christ and keeping my physical life and professing Christ and losing my life, which should I choose? My life is not divine in the sense that it's worth protecting at any cost. As we think about living in the age of, of COVID, we've, we've, we've realized, okay, it's important to be smart and not to be foolish, but we all can see examples of people potentially who are clinging to life too tightly we're afraid of, of death, and that's not what we mean by being pro-life either, is it? So let's, let's think about this. There are some challenges, but as I said earlier, there are also some opportunities. The, the, the worldview that believes that we're just material beings is inconsistent with itself. And the, the life that's lived with that as a foundation is, is not a life that's, that's fulfilling. And so the opportunity we have is to take the gospel message, the, the pro-life gospel message, to a world that is hurting as it's found, the, its foundations crumbling. We have the opportunity to take that gospel message and be pro-life in hurting places. So let's talk about some theological foundations for those who are pro-life. And again, turn to Genesis 1 if you're not there already. And let's, let's talk about what it means to be pro-life. When we say we're pro-life, we're we're promoting, we're first of all committing personally to live consistent with God's teaching on the nature and purpose of life. And then we're trying to communicate that to our culture as well. Number one, to be pro-life means that we recognize that God is the author of life. He's the author of life. He's the one who gives us instructions about what it means to be a human being. And look at what it says in the text. How do we... How do we get to that? God says in verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So now what does that mean to be made in God's image and to be made in, in his likeness? Well, a, a couple things. We see that this first of all means that we, are a, a, we, we have similar characteristics of God. We're not God. I look around this room and you're all very nice-looking people and uh, very pleasant, but I don't look at any of you and think, is that God over there? I mean, I'm not, we're not God, we're not like God in that sense. There are some characteristics that God has that as he's created us, he's, he's given us as well. We have a mind, we have the ability to think, we have a, a soul, we have the ability to, to feel emotion, we have uh, some things that make us like God in that sense. And it also means to be made in his image, to be made in his likeness. It also means, that, that phrase means we're his representative. So we're like this visible representation of God himself. God has created us to be his visible represent, representatives. And obviously the fall has marred our ability to do that perfectly. But as I look around the room, 
I don't see, uh, I don't see perfection, but I, I, I see people who are all image bearers of God. All of you have been given by God the ability to be his, his visible representation on earth. Now, for Christians, we also understand this. Not only is God the author of our physical life, but he is also the author of our, our spiritual life. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we're, we're alive physically, but we're dead spiritually. And what does God do? Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the, his great love for us, it talks about our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So not only is the God the God of our physical lives, he's also the God of our, our spiritual life. He's the one who gives life as we recognize our sin by God's grace, as we recognize the perfect work and the death of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins. We place our trust in him alone and receive eternal life. First, uh, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. So we have a new life. God is the author of life. So to be pro-life, first of all, foundationally, before anything else, it means that we recognize that God and God only is the author of life. He's the authority. He's the one to whom we look to understand what life is. You cannot rightly understand life apart from that recognition. And furthermore, I would argue you can't be fully pro-life without being a Christian, without receiving the new life that comes from God, to be a part of the, the new covenant, in the new heart that Jeremiah describes in Jeremiah 31, we see in Ezekiel. Secondly, secondly, to be pro-life means we pursue the purpose of life. To be, if I say I'm pro-life, it doesn't mean I'm just voting a certain way or have a bumper sticker. It means that I'm pursuing the purpose of life. And what is the purpose of life? It's to glorify God and to worship him. Now, what do we see as we go on in chapter 1 here? Look at verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, God blesses them, so they've been created for God's glory, for his purpose, to, to be in relationship with him, to worship him. And God gives them this instruction. This is how Adam and Eve are to do this. And, and it's, it's an instruction that's repeated after the fall, after the flood, in Genesis 9, as we'll see. It's, and so it's, I believe it's a, a, an ongoing instruction for all of humanity. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that's the first component of being obedient to God as we pursue the purpose of life, there's, there's this idea that we're to create society and, and there's to be, there to be families and we're to, to fill the earth. That doesn't mean that every person has to be married. It doesn't mean that every person has to have a family, but that's the, the general thing that's going to take place in our culture. There's going to be, uh, there's going to be families and there's going to be children and there's going to be this, we're, God's, we're going to use the sexuality that God, the ability to reproduce that God has given us. We're going to use that to glorify him. We're going to abstain from sexual immorality, and we're going to pursue the, the purpose of, of companionship and, 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 the, and the product of a marriage relationship in, in normal circumstances, and we're going to, to have families, and we're going to secondly have dominion. We're going to, to exercise authority. So we're going to be God's visible representatives as we also create life and exercise authority over that life in the places that God has given us. Now, again, not all of us are going to have children. Not all of us are going to be married. God hasn't called all of us to that. If you're 
single or a single parent through, through death or divorce, that doesn't mean you're not fulfilling God's purpose or you're in disobedience to God. God has perhaps called you to those circumstances. But what I am saying is this. Our society's rejection of the family and rejection of biblical marriage relationships is rebellion against God. It's not pro-life. The family, as a cornerstone of the culture, is, is collapsing, right? 1963, uh, 71% of women ages 15 through 44 were married. Now, I don't know why it starts at 15. 15-year-olds, don't go get married, okay? Uh, 1963, 71% of women ages 15 through 44 were married. By 2019, it was 42%. Five percent of women ages 30 to 34 had never been married in 1962. In 2019, that's 35%. Now, again, there are a variety of reasons for this, and many of you have been called to singleness, and, and that's, that's wonderful, and that, that's what you should be doing. Paul talks about that. There are ministries that single people have, but, but part of the reason that this has happened is because the family structure itself has been rejected. So this, this isn't a, a right way to live any longer. And women have believed that, but I, honestly, I, I think that part of the reason for that statistic is, is more about men than women. Uh, women look around and they, they, they see the men and they think, well, that's not, a, that's not a healthy relationship for me to get in, and they're, and they're right. And so the, the family is, is crumbling. The family is crumbling. Instead of using our sexuality to, to, to glorify God and to recognize the, the joy and be ob- obedient to God in our sexuality, we're, we're worshiping our, our sexuality instead of using it to worship God. 2019 survey of Christian men revealed 54% of them view pornography on a regular basis. That is not pro-life. You can't go around saying, I'm pro-life while viewing pornography. That's not fulfilling God's purpose for life. A person who has a solid theology of life is, is repenting of idolatrous pursuits. They're taking every thought captive. They're recognizing, look, children are a blessing. Sexuality is for worship. They're thinking rightly about their re- relationship to nature. And so as we say we're pro-life, we're pursuing God's purpose for our life in all areas, recognizing the, the beauty of the creation that God has given us. Thirdly, to be pro-life means we grasp the, the special sanctity of human life. Now, again, that phrase sanctity of life, sanctity of human life, doesn't mean that life itself is somehow just as valuable as God. It's recognizing that life comes from God. And so look at, turn over to Genesis 9. In Genesis 9, we have post-flood, the beginning of the covenant with Noah, and a covenant that I think is, is ongoing. It's a covenant that applies to all of humanity. God gets into that covenant later in the chapter, but he begins by repeating the blessing that he gave in chapter 1 to humanity. Verse 1 of Genesis 9, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So there's a, a blessing and it's kind of a, is it a blessing instruction, kind of the same thing there. And he says, then he, then he is very clear, God is very clear that there is a, a difference between humanity and, and animals. He says, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So there's this clear 
There's this clear separation between humanity and the created animals, the, the animals that don't have the breath of life. Now, it's, it is good for us to care for animals. In fact, we're reading, we're reading through Proverbs as a family in the evening, and a few nights ago we came to this proverb that says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. Right? So a righteous person is, is kind to animals and thinks about being nice to animals. That's a good thing. Be, be nice to your puppies. Okay, that's good. But <laughs> someone told me after first service, they're like, you're going to get some emails on this one. Okay. But Whitney and I sit on our porch uh, during the spring and summer on mornings where the, the weather's nice, beginning of fall, and, and we like to drink coffee together and, and talk and then read a little bit and and uh, we'll often just, uh, as we're sitting there talking or reading, watch people go by with, with um, their animals. And some of you are crazy, okay? Some of you are crazy. I see animals, uh, I see animals running people's lives in ways that, are, that are, I, I just don't understand. They're allowing this, this animal to take them at all sorts of places. They're at all sorts of hours in my yard, um, all sorts of things. They're, they're dressing up these animals. Um, it's, and if this is you, I love you. I don't mean this, uh, I don't know if this is you. They're, they're pushing them in strollers? I, I, don't, I don't understand, okay? Now, maybe I'm heartless, but I, I, I don't get that. But, but God bless you, you know, if you, if you want to, if that brings you joy, you know. But I would say, but, but, but this, right? Um, why don't we love human beings that much? Why are we willing to do so much, and I mean this theologically, a dumb animal, but not for one another who've been created in the image of God? I, I literally, I watch people literally walk around with an animal holding a, a plastic bag of its waist that they're willing to pick up, which I appreciate, um, but they won't take garbage from other human beings. You know, I'm willing to clean up after an animal and get up early for it and invest all this money, but man, you don't cross me relationally because I'm going to hold a grudge. That's not pro-life. right? That's not pro-life. If we can love animals to a degree we can't love other people who are made in the image of God, there's, there's something profoundly wrong. There's a separation. There's a specialness to human life. That's just one illustration of that. We need to be those who are willing to, to sacrifice of ourselves for other human beings who have been made in the image of God. The things that we should be willing to do for other human beings should far outweigh what we're, what we're willing to do for material things or people, uh, or excuse me, <laughs> I just did it, animals without souls, right? Number four, uh, to be pro-life also means we protect human life. It means we protect human life. And by protect, we protect, we promote, we provide for human life. As a church, if we are going to be pro-life, we are going to be those who, who protect it and do the things sacrificially that are necessary to protect it. God, is, as he continues here 
in verse 5 gives some, some strong statements about, about death. An animal or a human being who takes the life of another human being, God says, I'm going to require that life of the man. So what becomes very clear here is that something that has the, the breath of life has been killed, has died through the, the means of an animal or another human being. And God says, look, this, this, this life is so valuable that I'm going to, the only thing I'm going to accept as payment for that life is, is life itself. An animal that kills a human being dies. A human being that kills a human being dies. Now, you say, well, how does that affect our understanding? The death penalty. I, I think this is why a person can say I'm pro-death penalty, but also pro-life. It's not us who are requiring life of someone. We don't have the authority to do that. It's, it's God. Now, at the same time, even though I would be pro-death penalty not because of my own uh, ability to take life, but because of God's, I would say in our culture, I think those of us who are pro-life should be really uneasy with how the death penalty is administrated. It seems it's very easy for a person uh, who's more wealthy or a certain ethnic uh, features, you know, a person who's white is going to be much less likely to get the death penalty than someone who is brown or black, and a person who's rich is far more likely to uh, have a good the defense than a person who's poor. That should make us very uneasy, very, very uneasy. But I think we can say, look, it's consistent to be pro-life and pro-death penalty. It also shows us, I think, these these passages that God is the one who only one who has the authority to remove life. I think it also says, look, this is why we can be against euthanasia, taking of a human life through, through active means, and, and at the same time say, you know what, we're not going to preserve life at any cost, or what I would say prolong death at any cost. So it's okay to have a, a DNR, a do not resuscitate order on a person who's, who's dying. You might say, you know what, God is, God is sovereignly bringing that person home through natural means, and, and I'm not going to, to do extensive things to just prolong that process of suffering. We don't hold on to life that dearly. We're not afraid of entering into eternity as God calls us home. All that's consistent with being pro-life. But it also means here our responsibility, we recognize the value of life as we come to these passages like these, that God holds life very precious. So what does that mean for us as a church? Well, so. I think about what it means for me individually as a Christian. It means I, I vote pro-life. And I'd say, you know what, that, that's, that's great. I, I also vote pro-life. But that's like, that's like the, the very bare minimum. It's not even the minimum. It's less than the minimum. It's important, but it's, it's far less than what God would call us to do. We promote it in our culture not just through advocating for policies like that, but we're protecting the unborn. We're, we're willing to, to sacrifice of ourselves. And you look at the, the weekly that is out uh, this morning, there are lots of opportunities about how you can be involved in caring for life. You can pray. Uh, pray for the families that are in safe families and are involved in foster care ministry who are helping those who are in crisis. Give. Uh, you know, the uh, the Tanners, as they shared this morning, talked about the cost of adopting. They're adopting now as you give financially to just the ministries at Bethany. Know that a portion of those are going to, to give gifts to families who are adopting. But you can also, through Bethany, give directly to families who are adopting. And 100% of those donations go directly to cover the costs of families. And if those families don't use 100% of the funds that they receive, we use them 
for other families who are adopting. And so those, are, those funds go 100% to that. And I would encourage you, make that a part of your regular giving uh, to give to families who are adopting. Be involved in safe families. Be involved in foster care. I would love, I, I love the video. We all love the video. I would love to see more families who are in that video next year by God's grace because they have adopted or been involved in some of these ministries. Encourage you to, to go to that, the table and you see opportunities to be involved in my sister's house and in Heartland and Heart House and encourage you to think through how God might call you in those ministries. There are a myriad of ways for you to fulfill this, this injunction that God gives us to protect and provide and promote human life. We're committed to living in a manner that is consistent with a biblical understanding of the nature and purpose of life and striving to promote that understanding within the culture in which God has placed us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in bringing us into relationship with you. And now we pray that through your enabling work, we would proclaim that message to others, that as an outflow of our, our new life, we would be pro-life, we would be pro-proclaiming uh, the gospel and pro-caring for, for those that, that, that you've given life. And we recognize that our physical life is not everything. We're not going to do, uh, we're, we're not going to preserve our life a, a moment beyond the, what, what you've allotted for our lives. But we pray that we'd be faithful to live every moment of the life you've given us, recognizing that is a gift from you and proclaiming the gospel through it. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.